Hello, everyone, and welcome to Courageous Destiny, Build a Business and Life You Love podcast. I am so thrilled to be interviewing Roxanne Parikh, speaker and breast cancer survivor. Roxanne, welcome to my show. How are you doing today? Oh my gosh, so good, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Oh, my my incredible honor. You know, I have to share with I have to share with my audience how I met you. So <laughs> I met you when you were going through the thick of your diagnosis. I think you were you were in the thick of 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 what you were having done. <laughs> yeah. And I remember hearing you speak just a little bit at the time. And I'm like, I need to have her on my podcast. So I actually ran into you in the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, I need you on my podcast. And that was probably about two years ago now. So welcome. Yeah, yeah. no, that that story is so funny. Um, it was right about a year and a half ish ago. Mm-hmm. And I was just a guest at an event and mm-hmm. it happened to be a great speaker. And I chimed in from time to time because sometimes I do that. Um, and I was so excited when we met in the bathroom. Um, there was yeah. you and another guest there and you both came running up to me and um, I was like, yes, yes, let's do this. Uh, and now since then, so much has happened. So I have finished treatment and am about a year out from everything. So it's crazy to be here. Oh, well, I am so thrilled to have you on my show. I'm so thrilled to see you healthy and well and to have your first year cancer free, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Celebration. Yes. And I love that it is called the beauty in the diagnosis. Yeah. And I love that I'm having you on today. So I would love for you to share with my listeners about the beauty in the diagnosis. I know when a lot of us think about having, you know, having a diagnosis of cancer or breast cancer, that it's all you could think about probably initially is all the scary stuff. But I love that you're bringing forward that there was beauty in that journey. And I would love for you to share some of that with us and hope to inspire others that might be listening. Of course. Um, I know this topic is maybe somewhat complicated for a lot of folks. And I always start any communication that I have sharing um, about the fingertips uh, that we have on our hands. And the analogy that I like to use with my cancer journey is that of the fingertips, right? Like remember when you're young and your family tries to convince you that you're unique and you're special and um, nobody has the same fingerprint as you and it's your unique identifier, right? So when I talk about my breast cancer journey, I always share that my journey is not the same as anybody else's. Uh, and that means medically uh, and also personally. I like to share about my experience, but I have other sisters who do not like to share about their experience. So we're Correct. different. Um, but also just the, the sheer explanation that breast cancer is breast cancer is actually, I don't think really true. I think there are different types of breast cancer. I think knowing how somebody is diagnosis is unique. Um, the process of which we take through that experience is unique. So my whole thing is that 
every individual that faces this diagnosis is special and unique and really exactly like the uniqueness of your fingerprint. You know what I love so much about that analogy, you know, that you're, you, you know, the uniqueness of your fingerprint, you know, in relation to breast cancer diagnosis, everything is different, right? Mm-hmm. And even when we go to slap labels on things, you know, oh, well, they have breast cancer. And depending on what experience that person has with breast cancer, they might like, hey, it's not that bad. You know, you can be in and out, right? And that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. None of that is true. Everything is different. And when we put labels on things, I think that a lot of times we're, we're, we're taking the unique and authenticity out of things. And to be aware of when we do that is a huge opportunity for us all. So I love that you said that. I love that yeah. you said that. Thank you so much. I, I feel like as a young woman, I knew that my grandma had breast cancer and I knew that my aunt had breast cancer. And when I would say that to people, they'd be like, oh yeah, my aunt had breast cancer and she died. And that um, commentary really kind of can weigh on you. Yeah. What I really want people to celebrate and even have an appreciation for are the different um, types of breast cancer you have. For example, um, it can be estrogen driven or it can be progesterone driven. Um, It can be, in my case, like I was a triple negative patient. And when you actually look at the statistics around triple negative, it's known to be an aggressive form of breast cancer that is really not hormone driven. Um, so that's unique. So somebody might be estrogen receptor, positive or negative, progesterone, positive or negative her two positive or negative, triple positive or triple negative. So to say to somebody, you know, um, oh yeah, my aunt had breast cancer. I've learned through my own journey that there are a lot of other, um, factors that are considered in that language but also how we respond to treatment could be different. Um, Some people may do prophylactic uh, chemotherapy or they may do a different type of breast surgery or, I mean, there's a whole host of things that can happen that again, make each breast cancer patient very unique, Um, not only in how they're treated in the process, uh, but also how they respond to those things. Well, I, I love that you said that because I think it's so important to always be looking at other people as though they are, are unique, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about what, you know, even when I think about my connections on this earth and the different people that I meet, even meeting you in the bathroom, right? What had to happen for us to be there at the same time? It's really pretty incredible, and everything, you know, and the more that we look at, at things with that beauty and that miracle, I think makes a huge difference. And, you know, I think that as human beings, the more we can be aware of when we just lump something into a label or into a category, let's be aware of what we're doing because it really does take away from the uniqueness that's happening in that lumping. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was with a girlfriend a little, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and 
it was a conversation about a different diagnosis that a family member had. And I said, what would you like people to know about your kid, for example? And she was like, that's a really good question. And I've thought about that since. And I think all of us probably have things that go on in our life where you might not want to share every detail, uh, but you want people to know. So through this, what I would encourage people to learn is that if you don't know what to say, it's okay. Uh, but you can also ask people, are there things that you want me to know? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, or what have you learned through this experience, right? Like what, what information do you know that you want the public to know? And it's such a good uh, space filler, if you will, but it also can connect you on a deeper level to something that is really complex. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I remember when you were sharing, I, you know, you have some beautiful, you have a beautiful family and beautiful children and they're young children. How did you share that with them? And how did you, how did you want them to receive it? Yeah, I think that's such a uh, uh, interesting dynamic because I am an adult who has lost both of her parents to cancer. My dad had pancreatic cancer and my mom had ovarian cancer and both were really ill by the time that they were diagnosed. Um, So I've been on that end of receiving that news. Uh, And I know that once I received my own personal diagnosis, I knew that my oldest son, who was not, who, who was seven at the time, um, I had a two-year-old and a one-year-old at the time I was diagnosed. So I knew, however, I was going to deliver that message to them would be how they viewed cancer for the rest of their lives. And I also considered that my oldest was uh, four at the time that my mom had passed away. So he remembers her. We talk about her. Uh, I remember one time we were taking her to treatment and she was bald. And my four-year-old's like, look, mom, (laughs) Grammy has a boy haircut. So I knew that, again, however, I... frame this for them would, would really be their perception going forward for the rest of their lives. So it was very, very, very important to me that they were comfortable and that they had information that was delivered in a way that was easy for them to understand. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Okay. Um, the first beauty in the experience was really naming the portacath. So the portacath is a device that is inserted into your body and it's can be typically how chemotherapy is delivered. So I was going in for surgery. I was going to have this little device um, and I needed a way for them to understand eventually that the chemotherapy was going to make me lose my hair, which is a big deal and a whole topic in itself. But the first layer of this conversation had to be around the fact that I was going to lose my hair, but also that I was going to have this port delivered. So 
we talked about it in advance. We talked about the fact that um, I would, I had something growing in my body and I was going to get medicine to make it better. But as a result, the medicine would make me lose my hair. Uh, but it was good news if I lost my hair, because that meant that the medicine was working. So when we talked about the port, um, because remember, I have I have really two little, little kids um, and one who is smart, but still it would be weird for him. So we called the port my button. Hmm. So the button is what received the medication that would make me lose my hair. And the button is something that is uh, still there today. Like I, I have, it's, it's been removed, but I have a scar uh, where it sits. Uh, but my kids always called it the button. Um, oh, wow. And when I went through the experience, I actually requested to keep the button uh, for, you know, my cancer memory box, if you will. And uh, just the other day, my kids were mentioning the button and I just thought how easy for kids to understand chemotherapy and in, in that process by giving a device, a medical device, a name that was easy for them to understand. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I have a, you know, I have my cesarean scar. Mm-hmm. My triplets know it as the miracle, the miracle, <laughs> the miracle scar, right? It's yeah. where they were yeah. born. And yeah. I remember one time I'm like, I had, I had lost all kinds of weight. I'm like, I have got to get this fixed. And my daughter looked at me and she goes, not the miracle scar. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> you know? Right? It's all how we present it to them mm-hmm. at their level of understanding. And it doesn't have to be scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there are many stages throughout the process and it's easy to go from A to Z. Uh, but really there's so many little steps that mm-hmm. make the process easier to digest. And for me and my kids, it was really important that they know we're going to do everything we can to, to beat this, but also every little step along the way needed to be very clearly articulated with easy to digest information for uh, two toddlers and a bigger kid. You know what I, I really love about what you're saying is that to me, and this is my own personal view, to me, open communication with our children is so key because they feel it. They yeah. feel it and they see it. And they don't understand it. So if we just ignore it, right, or if we try to keep it so private, mm-hmm. that's what's scary. Mm-hmm. And then they can make up all kinds of things about it. So I love exactly. what you're saying. You're exactly right. And I really struggled with it in the beginning. And I am so thankful for my care team and my nurse navigator who really helped um, put me in the right frame of mind to be able to be creative, uh, through the process. So I'm not saying it was easy. I'm saying it's all a process and trying to figure it out, but, um, it worked for us. Well, and I loved what you had said to earlier when we were having our conversation about, 
not to take the whole diagnosis in one bite, right? To, mm-hmm. to take one step at a time and allow yourself to take one step at a time. And Absolutely. how critical that was. Absolutely. Um, you know, while we're talking about the hair, I know your, your question was around what beauty did I find in the diagnosis? So mm-hmm. one of the other things was, was really around hair loss. And it's one of the things that I really try to prepare my kids for in a delicate way. Uh, cause it can be really significant to mm-hmm. be healthy one day, uh, and be visibly ill the next. And that transition doesn't take very long. So I knew that I really had to, again, be delicate with what was done. So we had a plan. Um, I knew that I would probably lose my hair within 14 days of the first chemo administration. So, you know, it's coming. Um, And really, I thought about how scary it can be for a child, for children to experience that. So I did all the things. I made sure I had a wig. Um, I went to a beautiful shop. They sat with me for a long time. We picked out a beautiful wig that was very similar to my hair. I talked to my kids about maybe cutting my hair um, because the plan was likely that I would wear the wig. Um, But what I ended up doing in preparation of the hair loss was, you know, I talked to my beautician and I asked her um, to shave my head and she's like, go through the process, you know, like when you're ready, we'll talk about it. Um, And then I decided to make the hair loss a fun experience for my kids and really my husband, right? Because however, they view cancer from this point forward is going to be memorable to them. So we all went to party city. Everybody picked out a color of hairspray that they wanted. And then we were ready to go. And I swear to you one day, my hair was completely fine. The next day there were little sheds coming out. And the next day it was clumps. I mean, just huge balls of hair loss. And I knew it was happening. And honestly, Kristen, like it hurts, you know, when your hair follicles start to die, it's painful. So the weight of your hair Mm. in that loss is really, um, I think it can be tricky for patients. You know, it can be devastating to patients. Uh, But I set a mission forward and my goal at that time was to donate my hair because I had always wanted to donate my hair Um, and we cut it in preparation to do that. And um, my kids colored their hair. It was pink and it was purple. And I think somebody had red hair Mm. and we colored my hair pink, of course. And as we're coloring our hair, I have a girlfriend at my house to, to capture the moments. Because uh, whatever happens to me going forward, I wanted my kids to remember that I took the care and attention to make hair loss, like not so scary for them. Um, so that's what happened. And then as the events of the day started to take shape. 
we had asked my oldest if he would like to participate in shaving my head. And he was really scared and didn't want to do that. And I was okay with that. There was no pressure. I said, if you change your mind, here's, here's our plan. We're going to, we're going to cut it off. Um, you can go inside with your brother and sister and watch a movie. You can hang out with me and dad, but either way, uh, we're, this is, we got to do this today. And he went and hid and that was okay. So I said, I'll be here when you're ready. You can experience it with me or not. And he eventually came back outside and he participated and it was a beautiful experience. Um, I remember taking my mom to shave her head at the beauty salon and this was different, you know, being a daughter in this moment and being the mom, right, was So you've, you've seen both sides of that. I have. Yeah. I have seen both sides of it and it was awful going through it as a child, you know, an adult, adult who took her mom to do it. Um, but as a mom, my job, I felt in that moment was to make sure that they knew this was not scary. I was not upset about it. I was totally okay with it. It was no big deal. I had set forth the, the mission of donating my hair. Um, and that was it. So, so uh, I want to, I want to just break apart some things for our listeners. Cause there's so many good, there's so many good nuggets in here. Number one, I hear open communication with your children, right? Mm-hmm. To And allow them to be who they're going to be too. So you're openly communicating. You're setting an environment that allows them to participate in it. So it gives them power over it, but it also allows them to be who they were going to be in that when your son wanted to hide. So mm-hmm. I think that that is so critical. So I wanted to point that out for my listeners. I also want to point out for my listeners, too, that it's more than just hair as an identity. There's a physical pain associated with that kind of a hair loss, you know, so it's more than just, you know, doing the GI Jane. I'm probably dating myself with that. (laughs) But it's more than just a GI Jane and a power move. It's there's actually some physicality to it to be aware of, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I, Kristen, I can talk an entire hour just about hair to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's our identities. It's part of our identity. And one day it's there and you did create a higher meaning too. And that was the donation. So I always share with people, we get to choose our meaning, the higher meaning we choose, right. will make us feel better about it. So I love that you did that, but I'm sure after you do it, then you go and you look in the mirror and that's part of your identity and it's part of your soul. You know, you don't necessarily recognize yourself the same way. And so there's things to work through. For sure. And I've had long hair, short hair. I've had brown hair, blonde hair. I've Mm -hmm. had bob haircuts. I've had layered haircuts. To me, it really wasn't about the hair. Mm -hmm. It was more about the image around it. So I was okay to lose my hair. Um, because I did, I did intend to donate my hair. So that was, that was, I love that. It made it it easier for me, but 
honestly, you, it, it was fascinating for me to think about how one day you're diagnosed and you go to Walmart and you're standing in line. Cause this is a true story. And you're like, Oh my gosh, the guy behind me doesn't know that I have cancer. And then I just get in my car and I drive home and then you transition to hair loss. Oh but yeah. It's more than the hair loss, you become a healthy person to really, you know, like just somebody with a cool haircut, right? They're like, Ooh, she shaved her head. But then you start to lose your eyebrows and you start to lose your eyelashes. And now you are completely bald and people know by looking at you that you're sick. And then, you know, you, you even lose your nose hair, which protects you against the smell of gasoline while you're pumping your gas. So we talk about the physical aspect, right? Like it's painful, but there's also all this other stuff that goes along with it. Um, and you think about your, I thought about how your eyelashes actually have a job and it's to protect your eye. And when you don't have that, it's, it's different, but also people associate people with no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes with being sick. Yeah. And then there's the whole emotional element of it from my perspective, where people don't know how to communicate with you, right? Because it becomes a, a, what level of sick are you? Are you going to be better? Do you have time left on the calendar? You know, like, what is that? And I felt like there was a certain amount of delicateness to those conversations. So so I'm seeing one of the things that I'm seeing is people all of the sudden are treating you different overnight. People that you might not have wanted to know. I mean, not that there's certain probably places where you like, I would think like, for example, at work for me, right. Or, or mm -hmm. if, if I was still in corporate America, I'm going to place myself in another environment. Right. But if I was in corporate America and that happened to me, Right. Everybody, all of a sudden that I haven't spoke to in months would come up to me and ask me how I was feeling and how I was doing and would when I'm trying to maintain focus and get through my day and get th certain things accomplished. Yeah. There's also this kind of thing that's always going on where people are looking at you, making a judgment, you know, not necessarily like they're making a bad judgment on you, but it's still you're not being seen for your, your talents in that moment. You're being seen differently. And that I have to imagine is hard. Yeah. You know, I think what I find interesting is that there are a bunch of women out there who are doing everything they can to preserve their hair uh, so it doesn't fall out. So I give them the biggest amount yeah. of accolades for that because it's a lot of work. Um, but also women out there who wear their wigs every day, they work out, they go on walks, they go on vacation and they have their wigs on. And then you find women who um, have head wraps and they're beautiful head wraps and they are amazing. What I learned from my experience really was that my kids actually preferred me to be bald. Like not Aww. only did I prefer it, but my kids and specifically looking back to my oldest, because he was the most aware, you know, of the situation. Um, he didn't like the wig. 
So I wore the wig maybe twice um, and have since given it away to another breast cancer uh, fighter. Uh, But he didn't like it. And I was okay with that. And I did work from home. So that was awesome where I didn't have what you're alluding to was a lot of people asking. And I rocked the bald all day, every day. It was totally fine. I did not care. But awesome. To, yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's so funny on the opposite end of hair loss, then you start to grow your hair back and it becomes uh, amazing, right? It's a whole experience of growing it back and the different styles and all of that. And we all go through these awkward <laughs> uh, stages where you're like, my hair looks great. And then you're like, what's happening? Um, but the, and then you go, you go back to being a completely healthy person, you know, like healthy in quotes, of course, um, a healthy person. And nobody, nobody knows that you just went through the battle of your life and your hair is grown back and you're back to just normal. Wow. Wow. Vaccine. So, like I said, I could talk about hair for an hour in itself, but it really well, we've- is. We've got about 10 more minutes and I want to make sure I address a certain topic. Yeah. Like you said, we could talk about hair the whole time. And I, it's all so important. All all of the things that I've heard from you are all so important. And I, the beauty and the diagnosis, just to go back to that part of it, I would love for you to share with my listeners how you found out about your diagnosis and what they should do as well, because really it saved your life. It sounds like it saved your life. It really did. And I will tell you guys that I got pregnant with my second baby when my first baby was four. Um, so he was four, everything was great. Um, I'm pregnant for nine months with my daughter. And then two weeks before she was born actually is when I lost my mom. Um, and it was very important to me that I breastfed my baby. So I breastfed her for my nine, for a year. So I want you to think about being pregnant for nine months, breastfeeding for a year, immediately get pregnant again for, you know, and you're pregnant for nine months. And then I breastfed him for a year. So how I found out about my breast cancer was actually from a local baseball game called the Schomburg Boomers, and it was dedicated to breast cancer awareness. And I was invested in the game and the audience because my grandma and my aunt uh, had passed from breast cancer. So it was significant to me to think about all the details of that ball game. So as I'm going through the details, I'm actually the one who's writing the script that the announcer says, you know, so I'm giving him stats to say throughout the ball game about breast cancer and all of the things. And one of the things that I advocated for at the game was for uh, men and women to remember to do self-breast exams. And I truthfully you know, sometimes remembered and sometimes didn't remember to do them. But the day following the game, I was in the shower and I thought to myself, you are two months past the time where you could get a mammogram 
because you have to wait for a while after you stop breastfeeding to actually do a mammogram. So I had waited that amount of time and it was two months past then. And I knew I needed to schedule and it had been on my mind tremendously. So in that moment, I thought you told everybody else they should feel their boobs. You should probably feel yours, take your own advice. And I lifted one arm in the air and I put two fingers on my left breast and I felt a lump immediately. And I very frantically, yet calmly began the process of what that meant. Uh, For a second, I thought it could be a clogged duct. Uh, For a second, I thought it could be a million other things, but I knew ultimately that there was a big, big chance that I was about to get a breast cancer diagnosis. Wow. So I actually have a tip for your listeners. If, if, if that's okay. Um, yes, please. Um, it's very hard to remember to do a self-breast exam. And it's just like changing the batteries in your fire alarm in your house, right? Like everybody tells you to do this stuff and you forget. Uh, so one of the tips that I like to leave people with is to pick a day of the month that's easy for you to remember, like your birth date. So my you put in your calendar with a Yep. Mm -hmm. So my birthday, for example, falls on the fourth day of the month. So on the fourth day of the month, every month, you should do your self-breast exam and change your fire, your batteries in your fire detector. It's easy. It's simple to remember. Uh, You probably know what days you get paid. You probably know your birthday, right? There might be another significant day, uh, but I like to choose your birthday. I think that's a really great idea. And thank you so much for that. You know, developing a structure, we don't, we, we get going in our lives and we don't always remember to be conscious about certain things until we have to be conscious about them. Yeah. So that's really a great tip. So again, just to point that out, pick your birth date, pick your birth date, put it in your calendar, remember it, change your batteries on your fire alarm and check your breasts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's part of me who wants to do it right now. <laughs> but I, I think it's so critical. And I love that you said men too, men too, men too. Mm-hmm. Women are not the only people to get breast cancer. So a hundred percent. And actually what I found through my own diagnosis was that not only did I have seven first degree relatives that had been diagnosed, but I'm also a fourth generation cancer fighter. So I actually knew of my mom had ovarian. Mm -hmm. Her, actually her sister had breast, her other sister had breast. But if you go up the line, I talked about my grandma earlier, she had breast, but grandma's mom and dad both had breast cancer is what I learned from an uncle. So to have four generations, seven first degree relatives, you would think that this might be genetic, but as of today, I don't have, there's nothing genetic, Um, but I am looking into going into research to see if my mom and I, um, if there's something bigger, because we actually do share two variants that I think could be interesting um, as we learn and evolve with breast health and all the things that we've learned along the way. 
That's great. That's great. And, and you know, check your lineage and just be aware that this is, you know, this is very serious and it's not, there is a beauty in it, you know, so it's nothing that we need to necessarily be so afraid of. Cause I know for me, like sometimes you're afraid to check because you don't want to mm-hmm. know, right? Well, maybe yeah. if I don't know, I'll be okay. You know, yeah. and it's, it's not be proactive be proactive because that is your number. I know from everything I've heard is that's your number one defense is to catch it as early as possible. A hundred percent. In the first week or so, you're going through the process of, you know, finding the lump to figuring out what your pathology is and all of those things. It's really intense. You know, like you go through a lot. Um, you know, I was even thinking about, do I have enough life insurance? You know, kids have to move out of their home. Like, am I going to die? But once the surgeon called me um, and he said, your cancer was, was fast to grow, but it's also known to be quick to die. And this is curable. And once he told me it was curable, I knew that all things were possible and we were going to get through this. It was going to be manageable um, and all of that. But I also, I talked to you earlier about the steps, right. And doing things in little chunks. Right. And that's actually the advice that I got from my breast surgeon. And he said, we're not going to worry about what type of breast surgery you have today. You know, what we're going to worry about today is making sure that we get through the first rounds of chemotherapy. And then we're going to talk about whether you need radiation. And then we're going to talk about that. And the way that he framed it up for me really helped me also share that with, with friends and family, but also made it to where, when I look back about, you know, like losing your hair and the poor and all of those things were also broken down into little chunks. Yeah. It honestly, it reminds me of a lot of in vitro. So I did four rounds of in vitro and had seven years of infertility treatments. And that's what ended up with the triplets. And it was like, you know, I know reproduction from like, (laughs) like every step of the way. I don't know how anybody just gets pregnant. Like that's my perspective because I, you know, I got pregnant through an IVF, you know, IVF and um, the triplets were born um, that way. And so it was like, it's to take it one step at a time, one ultrasound to the next ultrasound, to the next ultrasound, to the next test, to the next injection, to the next injection. I mean, because it, it's a month, it's like a month of steps. And then you mm-hmm. find out you're pregnant and then you got to make sure that your hormones are doubling and tripling. And mm-hmm. so, and that, that was very hard, you know, going through that, but I had to release myself and just look at the step in front of me because it was just too much. And it reminds me of that. Like what you're saying, it's like, you can't, you're not going to just have baby you know, or you're not going to just get to the cure. There's going to be a lot of steps in between. That's right. And to look at it and celebrate the victories too, along the way, like celebrate every single little victory that you can celebrate because that's, I mean, I got to imagine that's what keeps you amped up. It's like, woo, you know, 
That's right. Um, you know, I did a uh, congratulations to you and your in your family for oh, your triplets. You. I know they're like in driver's ed now, but um, <laughs> it is There's a whole new miracle is, going on right now. <laughs> it is, yeah, right. It is very important for anybody who's going through a difficult time and substitute breast cancer for anything. Um, to to really celebrate those milestones. And that is one thing that I did throughout my treatment because it was a long year. It was a really long year. And I remember celebrating when I was halfway through, through the red devil, but the red devil was really only four weeks. So every time I would be done with a week, I'd be like only four more cycles of this. So is the red devil, is that chemo? Is that it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a form chemo, of chemo. chemo drug. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. She has a nickname. Um, yeah. It sounds so, like it. Yeah. <laughs> she has a reputation. We'll leave it there, but it was, it was good to celebrate. That was four cycles total of that. So when I was done with two or even when I was done with one, I'd be like, Oh, only three more to go. And then when I was done with two of them, I'd be like, I'm halfway there. <laughs> So that's kind of, again, how I set it up in stages to celebrate each, each little victory along the way. And I think it's really important for your mental health to do that. You know, I know I have to get wrapped up, wrap, wrap this up pretty soon. And we're getting a long episode, which I love because to me, this is all, this is such an important topic. I want to ask you one more question. That's that's big on my heart because I know it's really what got me through a lot of tough times how is your faith through all of this did you did you have a great relationship with with God in having him help you get through this how how did that go yeah I did I've always been a woman of faith but I would definitely say tell you honestly that there was a, a a moment where I was like man god like I've been through so much why would you give me this extra thing to deal with you know I, I you, you know my story um so I just continued to thank him for all the opportunities that were in front of me but I will tell you being transparent with my friends and family um and additional colleagues across even platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram was really the collective effort that it took with prayer. Um, I not only was going through my process, um, but I had hundreds of other people that were praying for me. And I really believe because of their faith, uh, we were able to get through this and I was able to get to the other side. And I do not take being on this side for granted at all. Uh, so I continue to deepen my appreciation for the gift um, that I've been given uh, to continue in this life. But I also really want to emphasize that I know it's really hard to say that when you know such awful things continue to happen to people. Yeah. Um, so I will never forget those that we've lost or those that are continuing to fight because it is important to validate what they went through while I am here. Beautiful. Well, Roxanne, thank you so much for coming on to and doing this very special podcast with me. 
I, I really do honor your authenticity and your sharing of this topic because I think this is something so many people want to hear. You know, I think that this is something that certainly if there's somebody that's going through a diagnosis right now or knows a loved one, which is so many of us that's going through a diagnosis right now, we have questions about how we handle it. We have questions about what's our what's our likelihood, you know, I you know, of survival. Like there's all kinds of things that go on with this topic. And just being able to open the door and have this kind of courageous conversation, I think, is important to so many. And if one person listens to this and they remember to check their boob, you know, whether you're a man or you're a woman, that could save your life today. So I'm so glad that we did this. And I I honor you. And how can we help grow you? How can we help make sure that you get the messaging that you want out to the world? Oh my gosh, I don't I have not been asked this question. So my goal is always just to share the optimistic point of view um, within this diagnosis. I did start a Facebook page that was dedicated to the experience. It is still a work in progress, but you are sometimes share there you are you're back you're back (laughs) oh no all right well we're gonna wrap up this right now I'm gonna share your Facebook page I'm gonna share your Facebook page and I just I adore you so much and I adore your courage so thank you for inspiring me today and listeners out there I hope I hope Roxanne's story inspires you and allows you to you know come armed with some information and some tools should somebody that you know or even yourself if that happens to you see that beauty in the diagnosis so thank you so much thank you